I would like to say good morning to you all. If you're new, I'm Jamie, one of the pastors here, and just have to say what a privilege and honor that it is, and I want to say thanks to God and thanks to you all for allowing me to have the privilege, again, to open God's Word with you and explain God's Word to you. I want you to know that you guys show me the greatest kindness in allowing me to be one of your pastors it is a great joy in my own life, and I'm deeply appreciative of this. We are finding ourselves picking up where we left off in somewhat of a difficult passage in Luke chapter 11. We're going to finish out Luke chapter 11 today. We're going to pick up in verse 45, and we're going to make our way to the end of the chapter. If you were here with us last week, you understand that it is a somewhat of a heavy-hitting, hard-hitting passage as the Lord is addressing issues present in His day. And to our great shame, we're finding some of those same issues reflected in our own lives. So may the Lord have mercy upon us as we read the passage, pray for the Lord's help together as we work through it, and then I'll go ahead and uh, wrap things up. Luke chapter 11, verse 45. Hear now the word of the Lord. One of the lawyers answered Jesus, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And he said, Woe to you, lawyers also. For you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore also... The wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute. So the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. As he went away from there, the scribes and Pharisees begin to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. Let's pray. Father, I have nothing in me to serve your people. Fill me. Thank you for meeting me this week and helping me to understand this text. And now, by the power of your Spirit, will you help me to feed your people from your word. 
what is needful for them. If there's something in my notes which is not helpful, Lord, I pray it would be forgotten. If there is something in this text I have not seen, Lord, let me see it. Speak, O Lord, for your servants listen. Give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying. Amen. There are certain days in a man's life which mark him. The day that he graduates from high school or college. The day he hears the minister say, you may kiss your bride. The day he becomes a father. And these days have marked me. And I'm grateful to the Lord for those days. But there's another day that marked me for which I am much less grateful. I was in my early 30s. And it was a day like any other day, and I walked unsuspectingly into my local Kroger. In the entrance of Kroger, their place where they keep all the carts, there was a security monitor on the wall. And the monitor was projecting an image that came from a security camera that happened to be above and behind me. And what I saw in the monitor that day marked me, literally stopped me in my tracks. I saw from above a horrifying reality, which I had been denying for years, that I, Jeremiah Matthew Wellman, was balding. (laughs) And I turned around to see the camera, and then I turned back, hoping, like a sliver of a hope, that maybe I didn't see what I actually saw. But I did see what I saw, and so I got my groceries and buzzed my hair off and cried myself to sleep. (laughs) This passage, like the one that we considered last week, is a mirror. It's a camera lens pointed at us to show us what we look like from above. The Lord Jesus Christ sees us truly, as we truly are, not as we pretend ourselves to be. The Lord looks upon the heart and sees us perfectly. And may His heavenly perspective this very morning expose any sin for which we have been blind. And may His exposure to this sin turn us to Him where we can receive loving correction and His merciful embrace. In the passage that we considered last week, the Lord took a lunch with a Pharisee. And if you remember, the Pharisees were a morally conservative, Bible-believing, theologically-minded, religiously devoted sect of Judaism in Jesus' day. And over lunch at one Pharisee's house, Jesus exposed the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. He exposed five strains of what we called 
religion, which we defined as a man-made moralistic attempt to gain God's favor by what we do or what we don't do. And as we looked at the Pharisee at the table with Jesus, we saw that we recognized his face because it was ours. And so we considered some of the ways that we ourselves have similar strains of religion, little Pharisees active in our own hearts and lives. Today, we stare at a different face. Same dinner table, different face, and I'm afraid that we're going to find the same horrifying similarities here as we did last week. Five more strains of religion, of our man-made attempt to curry God's favor by what we do or don't do. And so may the Lord have mercy on us all. Soften our hearts and make us receptive to his gentle correction. I just need to say, if you're not a Christian, I'm glad that you are here. You've probably been led to believe that we Christians go to church to talk about all of the ways that we are really great and that the people out there are really not. Well, it may surprise you to find out that that's not really the case at all. What we actually do in church is find out that Jesus is really great. We are really not so great. And we just want to tell other not so great people all about this really great Jesus. And so I hope that you listen as we work through this text. Same ground rules that we gave to last week, let's apply to this week. Same ground rules. Keep your nose in the mirror. I am not talking about him or her or them. That little Pharisee does not like attention in your heart. You're going to be tempted. He's talking about them. I'm not. Let me just state it clearly. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about you. So quiet that voice of that little defense attorney in your heart because he's going to put up a fight in the next 30 minutes. So main idea is the same pretty much as last week with a simple addition. Religion kills, Jesus saves. And here's the addition. Flee from religion into the loving and merciful arms of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? That's the big idea. So, if you're ready, hold your nose. Let's take a plunge. Five more strains of religion. We start in verse 45. One of the lawyers answered Jesus teacher in saying these things, you insult us also. So here we go. We're still at the table with Jesus and the Pharisee. 
And this dinner must have included some heavy hitters, at least one Pharisee and multiple lawyers. We've met the lawyers before in the Gospel of Luke a couple of times, and we looked back then that these are not lawyers like Perry Mason kind of lawyers. They are experts in the law. These men were professional interpreters of the law that God gave to Israel through Moses in the first five books of the Bible. Their job was to study God's law and to bring out its meaning and application to God's people. So think of these lawyers like maybe professional theologians, experts in the law. And hearing Jesus rebuking the Pharisees in the passage we considered last week, one lawyer pipes up, teacher, in saying these things, you're insulting us too. So when it comes to religious people, Our Lord is an equal opportunity offender. So give credit to this lawyer. Rather than distancing himself from the Lord's rebuke, he recognizes that he is implicated in the sin that has been exposed in the Pharisees. You offend us too. Now, I don't know why he would have drawn attention to himself. And Jesus has got the Pharisees on the ropes and he's swinging and they're like, what about me? I'm not sure, maybe he thought that Jesus' assessment of the lawyers was going to be better than the Pharisees. I mean, after all, they were experts in the Bible. And in their mind, knowledge of God meant that they were right with God. And so what would he have to say about me? Verse 46. And he said, woe to you lawyers also. For you load people with burdens hard to bear. And you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. And so here the Lord exposes the next two strains of religion. So adding them to last week, this is strain six and strain seven. The word burdens here literally refers to cargo on a ship. So picture a ship loaded with cargo, and someone just keeps adding more and more and more until it's in the danger of sinking. And Jesus says, this is the effect of your ministry. The law of Moses contains something like 613 commands. And the lawyer's job was to help the people understand the law in order to walk it out as God's people. And what they did was add laws to God's law. About 2,000 of them. So rather than helping the people live free as God's chosen people and enjoy being his people, the lawyers enslaved God's people by adding laws on top of laws on top of laws until keeping the law was impossible. And rather than lifting any of the burdens, they just kept piling them on. So one famous example of the way that they 
did this was the way that they handled the laws about the Sabbath. God told Israel to take a day off every week. Don't work on the Sabbath. Rest. Enjoy God's good gifts. Enjoy your family. Enjoy your friends. Have fun. And the lawyers attempted to define what exactly God means by work. And they added so many rules as to what work meant that those rules had to be categorized into 39 different categories. So God's law said, don't carry a burden on the Sabbath. It's a day of rest. And the lawyers came along and they said, well, what is it? What, what does burden mean here? How much is a burden? Five pounds? Fifty pounds? Well, they said, well, here's what, here's what it means. It means food equal in weight to a dried fig. Milk enough for one swallow. Ink enough to write two letters of the alphabet. And on and on and on. So food equal in weight to one fig can't be carried. And so I'm wondering, like, how do you carry this food to the scale to find out whether it weighs too much? Milk enough for one swig. So how do you pick up the cup to take said swig without breaking the swig law? How do you take the container with lots of swigs and pour it into the one swig container to take the one swig? You break the Sabbath by trying to keep the Sabbath. Do you see what's happening? And they did this to everything. By the lawyer's laws, they stripped fun and joy out of everything. They turned a day of rest into a burden. Hard to bear. Now, of course, the lawyers wouldn't have seen it this way. No, they, they would have said that what they were doing was just explaining what God meant. If I don't carry a burden. And you need to know that little lawyer in you is going to do the same thing. So let's look into the mirror. Let's look into that security monitor to see our blind spot. And let us have faith enough to say, I am like a lawyer. When I lay burdens on myself and others that God has not laid on them. I am like a lawyer when I remove freedoms that Christ has died to give. So how can I put it? Think of the application of God's law being like straight lines and squiggly lines. Some commands of God have straight line application. Straight from the Bible, straight to our lives. Other commands of God are applied differently depending upon the context. And often those differences are about the what and the how 
And the little lawyer in you is going to hate this next part. So, celebrating the Lord's Supper, straight line. Do this in remembrance of me. How often you do this in remembrance of me, squiggly line. Some churches choose to do the Lord's Supper annually. Some quarterly. Lots of churches do it monthly. Here at PBC, we do it weekly. And there may be a greater wisdom to one over another, but how we do that commandment, squiggly line. Training your children in the fear and instruction of the Lord, straight line. How you train your children in the fear and instruction of the Lord, squiggly line. So some parents do a daily family worship. Others do it less often. Some parents choose homeschool. Others private school. Others public school. And there may be greater wisdom to one over the other, but how it's done, squiggly line. I could go on and on and on. But I need to ask, how's your little lawyer doing? Is anyone feeling the defense? Here, if you aren't, here's what he sounds like, just so you know. Here's what the little lawyer's going to sound like in your ear. You studied the text. You know what it means. You looked at the Greek. You're the expert here. You're the faithful one. Everyone else is being loose with the Bible. You need to tell them. Suffice it to say that I am like a lawyer when my specific personal application of God's Word leads me to look down on others who do not apply the Word in the same way. That's the first dream. So the lawyers burdened God's people with laws that God didn't give. Next dream. Appears in the same verse. The lawyers do not lift the burden. They do not touch the burdens with one of their fingers. So not only do these folks lay burdens on God's people, but they refuse to help God's people carry those burdens. They saddled God's people with thousands of laws and left them to carry them in their own strength. Religion kills. Religion is quick to criticize, and slow to help. It sees someone struggling, and rather than alleviating the burden, it adds to it. So religion would go to a thirsty man and hand him a cup of salt water. Okay, take a step back. I'm not talking about them. Keep your nose in the mirror. I'm talking about you. Keep your head on that monitor overhead to see blind spots. In the Lord's rebuke of the lawyer, let us see that to which we are often blind. 
Let me put it like this. I am like a lawyer when I expect the law to do what only the gospel can. I'm like a lawyer when I expect the law to do what only the gospel can. The law of God is good, but it cannot change the heart. It won't change yours. It won't change anyone else's. Only the gospel changes the heart. Only by a comprehension of the radiant glory of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ will a heart be changed. Think of it like this. If rules and regulations could change anyone's heart, Jesus would not have had to die. We need God's law, and we need to apply God's law lawfully. The lawyers were not applying God's law lawfully. Listen to this description of the law and grace from Romans 5.20. Paul writes, the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So the law increases disobedience to drive the guilty to Christ where they will receive grace. The law leaves the sinner in a desperate state and drives her to the cross of Christ where she meets the glorious grace of God and there is declared righteous based on Christ by faith. And so religion teaches your obedience to the law is what makes you righteous. But the gospel teaches that your righteousness is what makes you obedient. I'm going to say that again. Religion teaches that your obedience to the law is what makes you righteous. But the gospel teaches it is your righteousness declared over you by Christ, by God, because of Christ, that makes you obedient. Religion says, do this, and God will declare you righteous. But the gospel says, you've already been declared righteous, therefore, do this. And so the Christian, weak in her faith, is not weak because she's breaking God's commandments. She's weak because she's not depending on and delighting in Christ. And that's what causes her to break commandments. The lawyer comes along, sees the burden on the weak, and tries to fix her burdens by adding more. She, he's trying to fix the problem with the law. So I am like a lawyer. When I measure Christian maturity by faithfulness to commandments rather than dependence and delight in God. Next strain. Let's read verses 47 down to 51. Woe to you. 
For you build the tombs of the prophets whom your father killed. So you are witnesses and you consent to the deeds of your fathers. For they killed them and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles. Some of whom they will kill and persecute. So that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. The Lord compares the lawyers of his day to the wicked men of old who killed God's prophets. He said, they killed them, and you build their tombs. Sort of like, they killed the prophets, and you keep them dead. Throughout Israel's history, the wisdom of God sent prophets, messengers to expose God's people of their sin, to call them to repent with the promise that those who turn to the Lord in faith will be forgiven. And what did those men do who heard God's prophets? They killed them. They rejected the message. They drove them away. And Jesus says the lawyers are guilty of the very same thing, consenting to their deeds by building their tomb. And did you notice that Jesus considers this generation more guilty than the one who pulled the trigger? He says that the blood of all the prophets has been, will be charged against this generation. From Abel to Zechariah, from the first guy murdered for his faith to the last guy murdered for his faith. He even says the blood of every single martyr in the Bible, first to last from foundation of the world, will be charged against this generation. It's extremely sobering. Heavy, heavy words. Why? Were they more wicked than the generations before? Well, in a sense. You see, the revelation of God is cumulative in Scripture. And so is culpability. Every succeeding generation carries more responsibility than the previous generation since they've received more prophetic revelation, more reminders of God's judgment, and more of God's incredible patience. The generation of Jesus' day stood accused because they'd received the highest revelation of God in history. They had all the prophets, Abel to Abraham, Moses to Malachi. And then God had given them John the Baptist, who was the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. They rejected him. And now the wisdom of God in flesh stood among them. Christ Jesus, the Lord, God the Son, the image of the invisible God stood in their midst and they rejected him Two, so they were guilty of the gravest sin. So as we continue to stare in the face of this lawyer, we're we're, we're going into Kroger, we look up the monitor, we can see above us. 
What does the divine camera see? I am like a lawyer. When I reject those God has sent to rebuke me. I am like a lawyer when my knowledge of God makes me haughty and proud and refuses to receive correction. I am like a lawyer when I become unteachable. Christian, when the Holy Spirit of God comes to you to convict you of your sin and you feel that little defense attorney rising up in your defense, shut him down. Let the Word of God break you. Let it shatter the rocks of pride in your heart. Submit yourself to God's reproof and correction and training in righteousness. Submit to the Holy Spirit shaping and molding you into the image of the Son that the man and woman would be fully equipped to do every good work. So non-Christian friend, I have to ask what you're going to do with God's revelation of himself to you today. Does it offend you that Jesus calls you a sinner? Would it offend you if your doctor gave you a diagnosis that was grim? Does it offend you that this man, Jesus Christ, is saying to you that unless you turn to me for mercy, you will spend eternity under my judgment? Friend, turn from your sin. Turn to Jesus Christ for mercy. His life, his death, his resurrection, which we get to celebrate next Sunday, has secured salvation. For all who turn to him in faith. Do that today. After the service closes today, find someone who's a regular. And tell them you would like to learn more about this Jesus. They'll begin meeting with you. Telling you more. How you can walk in forgiveness. Offered to you by God. The next strain of religion. Comes in verse 52. Jesus offers yet another woe. Woe to you lawyers, for you've taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. What did Jesus mean by taking away the key of knowledge? He means that they've adulterated the pure word of God to the extent that their teaching kept people from hearing the Word of God. They buried God's truth under a pile of man-made traditions. And the Word of God had been so deluded by the Word of man that the truth of God became indecipherable. And so under their tutelage, people couldn't discern God's Word from the tradition of man. And these lawyers professionals who study the Bible should have been showing the people the beauties of God unveiled in their word. And they, of all people, should have 
been first to latch on to the one who was the word. They should have seen that this Messiah was the one the prophets spoke of. But they did not enter themselves. And more than that, they hindered those who were seeking to enter. The lawyers could not see Christ. Behind their thick cloud of religion, they kept others from seeing him too. But their false gospel hid the true gospel. They gave plenty of commands, but they did not give them Christ. So, as we gaze into this mirror of this text, what do we see? And remember, you're the only person in this mirror that I want you to see. I am like a lawyer when, adding to God's Word, I smother the plain sense of God's Word. When my complicated theological system lays so thick over the Bible that the common man can't see the glory of Christ. I'm like one of the lawyers when... I make the narrow road more narrow than Jesus made it. And I'm like a lawyer. When my theological system makes the test of orthodoxy more and more naughty and restricted. As knowledge of God grows... As our knowledge of Scripture grows, it's meant to produce in us a deeper love of God, an increased dependency on grace. It's meant to make us more patient with others, not less. The more we know of God's grace to us, the more gracious we will be toward others. And a telltale sign that there's a little lawyer taking up space in your life is that the more you learn of God and the Scriptures, the less patient you become with others. There's one thing that these boys got right about Jesus. He was a threat to their religious system. So if we're being honest, we should say, I am like them when I see God's grace as a threat to my church's health rather than the solution to my church's health. When I find myself less gracious toward my fellow man than God is, then I'm acting like those who killed Jesus, not those who follow him. And so I must say, brother, sister, hold strong convictions, insist upon theological precision. Set the goal of righteousness 
high in your own life, high in your own church. Set the goal as high as Holy Scripture sets it. And set the trajectory of your life in that direction. Just understand the fuel of the vehicle that will get you there is not the law, but grace. We walk by faith, not by sight. Love your neighbor as yourself. And what is the first adjective Paul gives us for love? Love is patient. So tell that little lawyer, that little Pharisee in your heart that grace is no threat to Christian maturity. It is the fuel that drives Christian maturity. Pursue the highest level of purity and theological precision, but demand from yourself and others the greatest extension of grace that is needed until you get there. So I guess all I'm trying to say this morning is... Breathe, rest, big God, guaranteed victory. Let's stick close to the Bible, let's let iron sharpen iron, and let's expect the gospel to do for us what it has done for Christians for 2,000 years. And let's have fun in the process. Religion kills. Flee from it. Run into the merciful arms of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. So that's what we'll consider in the few moments that we have left. To whatever degree that you have found a little lawyer living in your own life, Christian, run to Jesus Christ. And you will find him with the biggest smile and the warmest embrace. You'll find him eager to forgive you of all your sins, to wipe off of your life every stain of your pride and every ounce of smugness and every arrogant thought. He loves to forgive you. Religion looks down on yourself and others. And the gospel teaches us to look up to Christ and his cross. God's good law exposes our sin, the sin that leads to death, and exposes our need to be saved. The law drives us to Christ who did everything we didn't. He kept the law of God perfectly. And when we look to him in faith, we receive mercy for our sins. And we are credited with His righteousness. We are granted new life, His life, a new life of His joy and His peace. A life of delight. The Heidelberg Catechism describes this new life so well. And I quote, It is wholehearted joy in God through Christ 
and a delight to do every kind of good as God wants us to, end quote. When we meet the unmerited love of God extended to us through the gospel, we are changed. Our lives are secured. Our desires transformed. We obey His commandments, not to earn His love, but because we already have His love unmerited. And since we know that we can't be made right by God with our own works, we're then released from even trying. And we don't have to fear losing God's love because of something that we do. God loves you on your worst day just as much as He does on your best day. We all admit that we've blown it. We've failed to keep God's law. And because of Jesus, God does not count that against us. And he doesn't punish us for it. And so we can rest. We can enjoy him. We can enjoy his good gifts. God loves us. That's never going to change. And that makes us, dear Christian, the happiest people of all. And it makes us the most patient people of all. The most gracious people of all. The freest people. And so I'll leave you with a few words from a 17th century Scotsman named Henry Skugel, who wrote in his wonderful little book, The Life of God and the Soul of Man, these words. The love of God is a delightful and affectionate sense of the divine perfections, which makes the soul resign and sacrifice itself holy unto him, desiring above all things to please him, and delighting in nothing so much as in fellowship and communion with him, and being ready to suffer anything for his sake. Skugel goes on, a soul thus possessed with divine love must needs be enlarged toward all mankind in a sincere and unbounded affection because of the relation they have to God, being his creatures, and having something of his image stamped upon them. Close quote. You see, what Google is saying, that knowing God, not just knowing about God, produces a delight in God and a desire to do all for God's sake. And it produces a heart that's enlarged by that same love for others. Religion does the opposite. It keeps God at a distance and it closes a heart toward others. Religion kills. Jesus saves. PBC, flee religion into the arms of the merciful Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, may all praise and glory be due to your name. For you have exalted your son in this place. Your word has exposed our sin. Things to which we have been blind. And we ask you for mercy. Lord, please forgive arrogance and pride and self-righteousness in us. Forgive us for being unteachable, unloving. 
for lacking grace and patience toward one another. We confess, Father, to the smugness of adding to your word, drawing the circle of faithfulness smaller than you have, laying burdens on others. In doing this, we have sinned. Have mercy. And we thank you for exposing this wickedness in us. We thank you for the perfect insight of your inerrant word for wounding us that you may heal us. Would you make us submissive and teachable, always willing to receive correction from your loving hands. And may the grace of God guide our ways and our fuel our devotion. May Pickle Baptist Church be a people rich in the gospel so that the true message of Christ is always clear. Make us a patient people as through us you advance the gospel in Pickle, Miami County and the world. Amen. Please stand to your feet for the assurance of pardon. Having had our sin exposed to us by God's holy word, now we go to Him asking for forgiveness and receiving from Him an assurance of pardon. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life.